sifter.com.au. G'day and welcome to Drop Rate by Sifter. I'm Chris Button, and today we're talking about Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, joined by freelance writer Jam Walker and Checkpoint Gaming's Charlie Kelly. But before we get into the discussion, here are the top stories featured on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast. Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And I'm Kyle Paletto. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March. We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview. Roguelike deck builder Bellatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content. A 2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators. And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. Articles to read, podcasts to listen to, and videos to watch on sifter.com.au. Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth, the latest entry in the long-running series. There's there's a lot to, to to sort of start with because it is it is a series where we've had lots of characters, lots of uh, different plot lines, and lots of drama in between. Charlie, I'll, I'll start with you as as best you can with you know, everything that's come before in this series. What's the concept of infinite wealth, and where does it pick up from? Yeah, so infinite wealth is a continuation of Yakuza Like a Dragon. That is kind of like the seventh mainline entry barring Yakuza 0, the prequel. Um, it basically, um, it's a really interesting kind of unique setup where it largely follows um, Ichiban, who was introduced in the last game, um, the turn-based game there, and kind of really follows his story, picking up in a new setting there in Hawaii, but now kind of basically also has the baggage of including Kiyu, the original protagonist's story in there as well. Um, um, lots of high stakes, lots of that. Um, yeah, most recent in the timeline and definitely the hugest in a really long time. Absolutely. And Jam, you did the the review for Infinite Wealth for Kotaku Australia. And in your review, you mentioned that Infinite Wealth does an unenviable task of trying to make it as approachable to newcomers as possible while tying up a lot of plot threads and continuing a lot of beloved characters from you know some some years ago how how well does it do this in terms of you know balancing the new and the old and is it actually a decent entry point for newcomers well in reading everyone else's reviews and tweets and just commentary in general for the last over the last few days i think i'm one of the minority voices who feel like this isn't a great entry point um i think the previous game was a better one but even so the further you get into infinite wealth the more it starts piling on spoilers outright for not just the core stories but also a lot of the sub stories of the key games of old uh and as that became, as it, that becomes more of a focus of the back half of the game, I got kind of increasingly more frustrated with it because I'm someone who, like many people, came on board with Yakuza Zero, the prequel, like a few years ago, and the absolutely machine gun rate that, that, that these games come out. I feel like we get about three a year on average, and how long they are, and the fact that I also like to have a job and sometimes play other video games and talk to my partner. Um, I'm many games behind. Um, I'm one of those terrible people. So I, I fell off halfway through Yakuza 
three. Um, and I got most of the way through uh, Like a Dragon, uh, previous one, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Um, but again, that same thing. I think I like took a trip and then had to pay something else for review. And I was just like, oh, I'll get back to it. And that was a year ago. Um, so yeah, it's it's it. I don't think it does the best job of sort of please appeasing anyone of, of hitting any of those targets. Um, but that isn't to say that I didn't love the time I spent with the game anyway. Of course, and and Charlie, I'll, I'll throw to you as well because I think arguably you're the the biggest like a dragon yakuza fan I know of. So from from your perspective, having you know sort of enthusiastically played so many of these games before how how well does it hold up in your estimations of being an entry point for for newcomers or sort of this this passing of the torch between series protagonists it's an interesting one um i'm definitely with jam where it definitely is not far from the easiest one to get into um as a newcomer um even off the back of um seven i feel like it is one where people are going to struggle a little bit but at the end of the day it is worth it because there's enough there for newcomers i feel like in ichiban's story um they do a pretty good job balancing the amount that everyone gets and also just the different types of stories they tell it feels a lot more like a character piece where it's exploring how the two very similar characters of the same side of the coin more than just okay my turns over now it's your turn and i really really enjoy that for the game i really like where the game ended up which is really interesting because it's kind of really unenviable to follow up where yakuza 6 ended for q with where he is now but i think they handled that really really well they didn't kind of dig themselves in a hole there and um for every time i was like okay this is really going to annoy some people i would do one of those um kind of side activities where you were catching up with all characters from the franchise through these kind of stories and i would just all that would melt away i would just be so happy to see character i haven't seen in six games time and yeah it's great at the end of the day that side content so not the most like horrible thing but yeah with that side content though and i didn't fully finish all the side content uh i loved what i did but you know deadline sort of reviews are a thing uh that was something that i found a bit frustrating too where it it really wants you to engage with all that side content even then as much as how like well the more even the social stuff you do that grows your characters relations to each other which makes them like better in combat because they might do follow-up attacks or combos or things like that it really wants you to invest in everything in order to just kind of level and the last couple of chapters of the game i felt like their difficulty spiked very very sharply and i found that frustrating because i mean i guess it's not really an issue if you want to just sit back and enjoy everything as it comes which i would have liked to have done so it's probably less of a issue for most people but it's I don't know. It's one of those things where it's just like, it's, I don't like being forced to engage with everything. Like there comes a point where I think that that the narrative does get harmed by the fact that, okay, yeah, we have like people in danger and stuff is happening, but I've got to go grind through a bunch of dungeons or help someone with a social problem or blah, 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 help with a lemonade stand. Um, so I think that didn't do the, the sort of narrative and the structure and the pacing of it any favors either, especially when you're suddenly coming back from having to do a bunch of diverted side stuff to then do hours of mandatory stuff that purely calls back to 
four or five games ago. Look, I totally, totally don't disagree there. It's 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 a tough one. Um, I have played so many of these now. This is the first one that I have felt motivated to do literally everything, but that's just with the way they've put all the sites off and I've enjoyed this one the most out of doing everything. I've done almost everything in this. To take things a, a step further back, because obviously the, the Yakuza and, and Like a Dragon games are known for packing so much stuff into it uh, that sort of, you know, sits there alongside of the, the main story content, the, the main plot, and uh, often the sort of main genre of the game. Uh, I, I recall uh, Yakuza 0 with the, uh, the the property management sim and the, I think it was the, the cabaret club management as well, and, and there have been other, you know, lots of other very notable sort of bits of pieces or et cetera, sort of separate game modes within the, the games themselves. But to, to take things... Uh, one one step further back, this is the the second second game in the series that sort of has followed the 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 change to turn based combat from what has previously sort of been more of an action fighting brawler type of uh, type of gameplay. Has the sort of the the turn based combat from the the first like a dragon, as subtitled here in the West, the first like a dragon game. To, to this one, has the turn-based combat sort of changed or uh, improved in any way? Charlie, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's improved in a lot of meaningful ways. It's just so much easier to read. Now you can very clearly see where all your kind of attacks and where you're knocking enemies into and so on and so on. So you can kind of basically alley-oop enemies into one another and just, you know, really cause damage. That is like satisfying the whole 80 hours I played. Um there is like small growing pains that I found in the first one that I still kind of find here. Um, I have noticed every now and then the pathway for some of the enemies gets a little bit lost if they get stuck on something and it takes a little bit for them to adjust a little bit awkwardly. Um, not super common, but it does pop up every now and then. But otherwise, yeah, look, it's a super cool thing. I just wish some of the jobs for the women were better is the thing that's happening to me again, like last game. I'll be keen to ask you more about that in in a sec, Charlie. Um, but uh, before before I do, Jam, your experience of the combat, um, how how was your time? Uh, obviously, you said that there's still a bit of a grind involved, which was something that was leveled at the uh, the previous uh, entry in the series. Has it has it done anything to alleviate that at all, or is it much the same? I never really got sick of the combat itself. Um, I think it is. It's it's mostly identical to what it was in the previous game, but it's definitely just more tidily presented um it's, it's cleaner and easier to read and maybe feels a bit snappier but most of like the skills abilities like they're the same um uh but i particularly remember it's been a couple of years since i played one of the, the old yakuza games with the the beat-em-up combat system and i as much as i think they had a very very good beat-em-up combat system good god i got sick of it like in every one of those games because of how often you get into fights in the street in those games street fights if you will uh it just got tiresome like physically with my thumbs tiresome um but one thing i love with the combat system in this game is that when you get to kiryu he's turn-based but his combat system emulates the old beat-em-up style and it's delightful um so yeah that stuff i thought was was still great it's again that that difficulties curve at the in the back half kind of i hate that it kind of soured me in the end and i mean look I, the one thing we kept, I kept thinking about was one of the most commonly hailed, you know, best games of all time in the last decade is Bloodborne. 
But the one thing that universally everyone hates about Bloodborne is the Chalice Dungeons, is these randomly generated instance dungeons that you have to go into for like certain side stuff. And both of this game and the last game essentially do Chalice Dungeons. And it's just like, why? Why? Why inflict this upon us again? And I suppose the you know the driving force behind the combat in in the Like a Dragon and, and Yakuza games is this this very heavily dramatic melodramatic sort of plot um, that that sits at the core of, of the series and it's it's very well known at this point how serious it can be one moment and then the juxtaposition into you know the downright goofy the downright silly and often uh, very often very heartfelt. Um, but that, that's also a lot to do with the characters and especially, uh, you know, the, the series' favourite, you know, uh, Kiryu um, and now Ichiban. In, in terms of the, the characters, Charlie, I, I know you absolutely love Kiryu as, as a character. Um, what, what, what is it about him that you find such a, a great video game protagonist? I think it's the selflessness and just how much he goes through, but also kind of bears the brunt of so much while helping others. I just found so compelling across all these games. Um, Even the weaker kind of Yakuza games for me are still pretty good games. I really like the tones they set, even some of the themes they touch on, and just the stoicness of it all. While still remaining human, still showing emotions somewhat, Kiyu always really nails that, and I think it is one of his best kind of arcs, what he goes through in this game. And yeah, it's really amalgamates into something lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And and how do you think Ichiban sort of holds up as, uh, you know, sort of the, I suppose, the new poster child for the series, uh, for, for lack of a better word? Really good as well. Like I said, it feels very much like a story where you're kind of seeing how they kind of have similar hands dealt to them. You know, they were both people that were, you know, imprisoned for doing the wrong kind of things that they didn't actually do um, and how it affects them kind of returning to life and kind of being this kind of uh, fish out of water in this um, kind of, you know, Yakuza world. I find that super compelling and Ichiban's spin on that where he kind of has the kind of lifelike and youth of it all while being, you know, brunted at the worst of times with some of the most horrific stuff i think is incredibly charming i think it is very very a good a good reprieve that we need for yakuza yeah yeah any thoughts you'd like to add to that jam yeah i mean i think they're both very very similar characters their their backstories are very similar um and i think they're actually both quite sort of not personality less and i think like ichiban has a bit more flair than than kiyu did ever did but I think by design, they're kind of just like good-hearted, not really blank slates, but just like, I don't know. Like, I mean, everyone talks about like, you know, the memes are all about like Goro Majima and that kind of stuff and springing out out of the ground with witches' hats on and going Kyu-chan and attacking people in silly costumes. But if you played as Majima for a whole game, even if it was like a linear eight-hour game, I think you'd get sick of it. Like, I think you have to have your, like, your protagonist be a bit bland to spend 80 hours with them facing this tonal whiplash back and forth of, like, pretty damn serious dark storyline and utterly ridiculous stuff, or it wouldn't work. None of it would work. It's it's almost like, and and, and for mine, I, I, I probably wouldn't see Q as, as bland as such, but in terms of perhaps a, a foil to, to the the events that happen around him. Uh, Straight man is a better term, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I get you, I get you. The and, and that's that's the interesting thing is that 
I think for for me, I find the the Yakuza and Like a Dragon games from from what I've played, they have really interesting explorations and I suppose deconstructions of masculinity and and sort of what it, what it means to um, you know be be a man and what what men should be expected to do or how how to act and and, and that sort of thing. And I think that the characters, especially Kiryu, you know, embodies that in in a really interesting way in terms of you know, he, he's someone who you know stoically stands up for for justice and, and what is right according to his moral compass. But he he also has a lot of room for empathy for others and you know uh, letting you're know, letting people show their emotions. But I think one of the things that the series has struggled with, and, and Charlie, you alluded to this earlier, is in terms of the the portrayal of some of its women. Um, there, there, are, there are some good women characters in, in the series, but they are quite often a lot of women are shown to be either damsels in distress or, or side characters or, you know, Maybe portrayed less favorably, uh, Charlie. What 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 did you observe of the the women in uh, Infinite Wealth? It's interesting. Yeah, I feel like with at least the past few games, they're getting one step forward, two steps back with the kind of representation with the women. So they're all really really good characters that they've introduced, each with their own kind of good motivations and everything, and have good stories to tell. But then you get to the mechanics of it all, and they are having roles like being a maid, uh, being a hostess, being an idol, doing all this stuff while men are like, you know, got got RPG jobs like samurai, they've got RPG jobs like a gunslinger, stuff like that. I think there's a lot of room to grow in that, um, and that it's really kind of sorely lacking in that regard. And it kind of really hurts to, to see that still kind of happening. Um, it is a little bit of uh, the kind of the kind of like crux of the franchise being a bit irreverent. So of course you're going to maybe throw some of those on the women roles, but it is still unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when, you know, it's, it's sort of in, in isolation in terms of, yes, you know, w- women can embody these roles for sure. But if, if those are the only roles that are made available, then that's, that's sort of where the, the issue arises. Um Jam, what what did you think in terms of the the game's sort of uh, representation and in terms of you know its its characters or or, or themes? Um, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're out with the class system and stuff. I had much the same feeling. I kind of hated that I um there was one female character who I had wearing like literal dominatrix gear, wielding wielding a big like mallet thing through the back half of the game, just because that class build kind of suited my team dynamic the best, um, and because a lot of the different like classes jobs, whatever you want to call them, um, are unlocked through like quest chains that aren't necessarily spelled out clearly. This is how you unlock this class that you know about because you know about it when you go to like craft weapons and stuff. You can see, oh, gunslinger, what is that? How do I unlock that? Um, it can be a bit limiting because you might only have a kind of not great representative option and it doesn't really make clear the fact of how you could change it to something, something possibly better. Um, but as for like the writing and that kind of stuff and the actual story and the stuff that those characters go through, I thought, great on the whole, like I, none of that came up in those areas. It was running really that. Yeah. And in terms of the, the overall story and, and sort of the concept of, of infinite wealth as a whole, am I, am I correct in saying that this is the, the first in the series that hasn't been set mainly in Japan? Is, is that right for infinite wealth? Yeah, in ter- 
in in terms of the this this setting, because one of the things that has been so synonymous with the Yakuza and Like a Dragon uh, series is it's really faithful. Uh, replication and, and recreation of I- iconic Japanese landmarks and, and locations, namely uh, Kamurocho. Um, but now for, for the first time, it's jumped into uh, Hawaii, which, uh, of course, Hawaii does have a very strong Japanese migrant uh, population. So there is uh, still a Japanese connection there. But in, in terms of how how well this, this location sort of serves the, the gameplay. Charlie, how, how did you find your time sort of exploring this this uh, new Hawaiian setting? Really, really liked it. I, I really enjoyed that we got to play this during an Australian summer. It's just been really, really warm, and I've been playing this, like, very summery game. It's been really nice with that. Um, and, yeah, look, it's it still feels a lot like Like a Dragon, a lot like Yakuza, even though you're in this entirely different country. Um, you are going through these environments that are so lifelike in their design, you know, like a kind of grungy district opens up to a shopping area, opens up to a beach, and it's all kind of channels and works together in nice ways. And it's the biggest map they've done yet. But because of little touch-ups they've done where it makes stuff like traveling easier via the Segway and stuff like that, it doesn't feel huge and gigantic compared to the other games. It definitely feels bigger, but it feels worth it. Every inch of that map I just grew to know intimately. And yeah, likewise, the, the activities that you're doing there feel very common for those areas, and I really liked them. Yeah, it still retains that density, um, even though it's so, so much larger and detail. Yeah, and and one of the things we we touched on a little bit earlier as well is because the, the games are so well known for their you know almost having an entirely different game within a game. I know a lot of noise has been made about Infinite Wealth about sort of the the resort management uh, mode of um, of Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Jam, what did you make of this this uh, this mode, and and how how does it hold up to some of the the series sort of previous you know very substantial games within a games? So uh, uh, just to, to go behind the curtain a little bit, I, I distinctly remember a few days out from the embargo for reviews um, being due. Um, David, the editor in chief of Kotaku Australia, dropping me a line asking me how I was getting on with the game, and I said uh, I should probably get back to the main story because I spent five straight long nights just playing through the entirety of Dendoko Island, the <laughs> Animal Crossing game, because it is it is that damn good. Um yeah, look look just so often with these games, these side it's hard to even call them mini games because they're so fully fleshed out and like fully fledged. Uh I feel like someone came up with a joke and then they just committed to the bit so hard that they could have released it as a $20 game in their own right. Um, yeah, and I think Zendoko Island is the best of their time yet. It's 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 ludicrously detailed and deep. It really feels like a good combination of a bunch of those different games for it feels a lot like the business management sim of seven where you're building something up from the start. It also does feel like the real estate kind of management and that as well, because you're worrying about the economics and stuff of like that, like while you're kind of tending to what your island looks like, you're doing your dailies and stuff like that, and it fits perfectly for this game. And I too lost a lot of hours. I lost dozens of hours in this, yeah. It's so perfectly stupid, though, as well. Like, mm. you're not just, it's not like Animal Crossing where you're building twee little villages. It's like, yeah. it's all the assets from the main game. So it's just, yeah, yeah let's just drop an eight story building with a cabaret <laughs> club in it in the middle of our resort island, surrounded by little fishing, like, yeah. and lounge chairs. And it's fabulous. 
And this is what really grabbed my attention during sort of the, the lead up to Infinite Wealth is, you know, this this resort management minigame, which I, I saw, you know, from early hands on people describing as like an Animal Crossing-like game. Can we sort of dive a little bit deeper, Jam, what exactly is involved in, in this mode in terms of, you know, managing this resort? So at the start of, I think from memory, it's chapter five. Um, you you can't miss it because you will be taken there for at least a few like in-game nights. You have to do the first few stages if Dendoku Island forces you to. Um, uh, yeah, you wash up on this little this little island that where there's a couple of people who are like, yeah, it used to be a lovely resort, but now it's full of garbage and pirates who kind of worship garbage and want more garbage on the garbage island. Um, and you can get as involved as you want to with trying to turn it back into a five-star resort by fixing it up, developing areas, and driving the garbage pirates out. Uh, and each step of the way is you get a new star, um, and you like person will come and join the, the team to help develop a certain area or open up like a farming district or like so on and so on, or like a kid who can like run ads on the radio or TV to like boost like tourism numbers and yeah, and then once you fix each area of your island up, you can get a better class of tourists on board who can increase your money and your rating, and you got to keep them happy. And it just—it's a rabbit hole that just goes and goes and goes. And it plugs into the whole Sujimon Pokemon knockoff system as well, because your Sujimon can also work on your farms and help out around the place. And it's—it's it's a lot. But also, it's Animal Crossing. You can just catch bugs and sell them for money as well. It rules. Yeah, that's what I really like about this, that every single thing feeds into something else. And I really value that in my RPG. So yeah, when you're doing Dondoko Island, it's really helping with Sujimon. When you're doing just little mini games, it's helping you cross off your checklist. It's adding your stats up to help do other things later. I just am obsessed with how much better and more authentically this game feeds into everything than other games in the series. I feel like other games with those really long completion lists, they just kind of feel like a bit of a boring checklist that you get tired of after a while. This one, less but so. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of amazing how a game that on the outset seems like it's made of so many disparate parts, they actually are quite cohesive, even though they're so, even so many of them are so tonally disparate. Um, even just the fact that all of this stuff makes you money and money can make fights easier because you can hire you know, support characters to come in and do a massive amount of damage or heal your bunch or everything is just kind of useful towards the core. Yeah, and I think those are some of my favourite games of all time of any genre is where they've got some of these, as you say, uh, disparate elements that perhaps on the surface look a little bit at odds with one another but sort of feed into to one another um, you know, quite quite well for you know, a cohesive experience. Uh, so that's, that's really encouraging to hear. Um, I'm really curious to, to hear, Charlie, of all the Yakuza Like a Dragon games that, that you've played, where, where would you say Infinite Wealth sits in terms of... I had a feeling this is coming up. Uh, <laughs> uh, definitely up there for me. Um, it has issues for sure, um, uh, but the, most of them melt away when you play the game. Um, probably like second or third third highest i would probably say so up there with the likes of stuff like yakuza zero and stuff like that i think the story in the first of ichiban stories in yakuza like a dragon is a bit more tighter but i also really liked it in this game um it kind of developed in really interesting ways so yeah definitely up there for me and when when you say you know some some of the issues i know we've, we've touched on some of the sort of pacing and, and story issues what uh what were some of the issues that that you encountered 
one or two uh, threads uh, kind of resolve a little too quickly. I have I found um, without spoiling too much there. Yeah, and um, it, it's tricky because it is it does feel very up itself a little bit with the Kiyu stuff and how it tells all of that. Um, I eat that up absolutely because I love him and I love those games, but it does it is kind of jarring seeing that when you're going through and trying to play this game that you believe to be one where it's all about the new kid on the block and all about passing over that torch. I find I find that kind of grating sometimes, but worth it at the end. And and Jam, how would you summarize your time with Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth? I found the first few hours a little frustrating because it was I mean this sounds ridiculous to say because it is a sequel, but how much that it was a sequel to the to the prior game. Um, and I also felt just in general it was slower to get to the open world. Okay, go kids have fun. Um, than previous games and series that I played. Um, that said, like the the majority of it was like the creamy middle, and it was fantastic. Um, and I spoke on my issues with the, the last few hours of it. Um, but yeah, it's still not my favorite game from the studio. That's still Fist of the North style Lost Paradise, which I hope more people play. I criminally haven't played that one. I need to. It's like the only one I haven't. Deep cut. I like it. And you don't need to be super familiar with the animator to play it either. It's great. Um, but yes, that's beside the point. Um, yeah, look, look, I loved it. Uh, I just, as I, as I tried to state up front in, in my review, it's just like, I think you've got to be pretty invested in the series or at least have finished the previous game to really be able to get a whole lot out of it or just be prepared that there will be several hours long stretches where you'll kind of just have to throw up your hands and go, okay, I guess this guy is a guy and they have a relationship and cool. Oh, goodness. So ultimately, Jam, would you drop or rate like a dragon infinite wealth? I, I would I would rate it, but just with a with a caveat of knowing what you're getting into. The same to you, Charlie. Would you drop or rate infinite wealth? Wholeheartedly rate it, yeah. That's like a dragon infinite wealth from Ryuga Gotoku Studios, a wonderful follow-up to the Like a Dragon from a few years ago, and certainly a lot of game if you like big RPGs. Join the Sifter community on Discord at sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. This has been Drop Rate by Sifter, a video game review podcast. Jam, where can people find more of your work? Uh, because I'm freelance, so you can find it kind of everywhere, but I think my last piece was for Kotaku Australia and my next one should be as well. Um, and I'm going to have a thing on Press Start for the first time next week. But uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at, at Jamwire and you'll see me banging on about everything. Uh, how about you, Charlie? Uh, where's the best place to find your work? Basically anywhere on Checkpoint Gaming. I am the person that reviews probably too many things. So at Checkpoint AU on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, for Facebook, it's Checkpoint Gaming. And Sifter is produced by Chris Button, Courtney Barrett, Kyle Pauletto, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, and Adam Christo. Mitch Lowe is senior producer, and Gianni D. Giovanni is our executive producer. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the theme music. You can check out what Sifter is up to on our socials, which is at SifterHQ on YouTube, Twitter, Insta, Blue Sky, whatever else is still running by the time this goes out, or hop into the Sifter Discord, which we'll drop a link to in the show description. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Oh, oh. 
Hey there, Gianni here on the latest episode of Lightmap Sifters interview podcast. Maddie Annabelle and Shaz Dio from Brisbane's Half Brick share the history of Fruit Ninja and the new version they've built for Apple Vision Pro. We're a company that's not afraid to fail, so we thankfully had a lot of support and were able to just keep trying things over and over and over again until it felt right. Our biggest kind of challenge was just trying to figure out how to truly make it feel like you are doing the slicing, getting it one for one, making it feel juicy and exciting. We wanted to be able to pick up a fruit off the ground and slice it, throw it somewhere and have you know the juice and the splats appear everywhere. And it was just a lot of iterations and trial and error. You can get every episode of Lightmap for free on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, or head to our website, sifter.com.au.